Today we're going to jump back into our teaching series called Beyond Failure. It's on the front cover, Finding Ourselves in Peter's Story. We did a couple of weeks, then we took last week off because Don Jared was here from International Justice Mission. Uh, what a powerful message last week. If you were not here last week, you really missed a powerful message from Don about uh, human trafficking and, and uh, oppression in, in, in India, which is the country he's most familiar with. And it is available on the podcast, so I would encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to his message from last week if you weren't able to be here. But we're going back to the teaching series that will take us right up to Easter called uh, uh, Finding Ourselves in Peter's Story. And it's really a story about failure. It's a story about how Peter's life um, in, in the New Testament really mirrors a lot of our own lives, and uh, we're going to see that today in, in this uh, uh, message that where God, where God allows Peter to fail so that Peter then discovers the power uh, of God to change, and uh, I hope that you'll enjoy that. Let's take a moment to, uh, to pray together, though. God, we thank you for this time of worship together and we invite you to equip us for this hour and that we might live fully in this moment make your ways known to us teach us your truth lead us in the ways that you would have us to go god be patient with us we're trying to be faithful uh, even as peter was so be patient with us as we uh, learn this day from your word how to live in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a poem. It's called, And God Said If. And I think it helps to set the, the scene for today's story about the Apostle Peter. And God said if. If you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I am forgiving? If you never were in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, then how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If, you gave, if I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Now I want you to pause for just a moment and consider that last statement. If your life was perfect, what would you need God for? Today's message is about a failure so shocking that we still talk about it over 2,000 years later. There are really two parts to Peter's story, his threefold denial the night that Jesus was arrested and how Christ forgave and restored him 
The first part of his story depends on Peter. The second part wholly on Jesus. You see, Peter was in charge of his own failure. Christ took charge of restoring him. Behind this story lies a wonderful, liberating, hope-filled truth, and that is that failure is an event. It is not our destiny. This is good news because we all fail, don't we? Sooner or later. <clears throat> and if we're honest, we fail over and over again. And as Peter's story abundantly proves, it's not our initial failure that ruins us, <clears throat> it's what happens next that matters. Failure doesn't mean that we have blown everything, it means we have some hard lessons to learn. Doesn't mean that we're a permanent loser, it means we aren't as smart as we thought we were. <clears throat> doesn't mean that we should give up, <clears throat> it means <coughs> excuse me, that we need to take we need to let the Lord show us the next steps. Doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It just simply means that God has a better plan. Only those who have greatly failed can truly appreciate Peter's story. If we've only failed in small things, then we really aren't going to be different, uh, deeply moved by this story, but if you've known the shame of large failure, then listen up, this is a story for you. When we failed, especially when we failed those that we love the most, our mind becomes a swirl of emotions, embarrassment, anger, fear, shame, despair. We feel perhaps dirty or guilty or unworthy because we've acted so foolishly. When we've hurt somebody deeply, we want to know if they still love us or if we just simply have blown everything. Will they ever forgive me? Can I ever forgive myself? You know, Peter never forgot what happened when he denied Jesus. As long as he lived, he never, ever forgot that terrible night. Tradition says that he would start weeping every time he heard a rooster crow. Tradition also says that he would wake up every night and pray during the hour that he had denied the Lord. So how does Jesus restore this fallen disciple? The answer comes in five stages. The first stage, Jesus sent for Peter. When the women arrived at the tomb early on Sunday morning, the angel announced the good news and instructed them to go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Now, I love that statement in Mark 16. It says, go and tell his disciples, including Peter. What does that mean? You see, Peter's denial had separated him from the other disciples. No doubt he wondered to himself many times, who am I now? Am I a traitor? Am I still a disciple? Peter may have failed in the upper room, but Jesus sent for him. Just a few hours earlier, Peter had said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And then later he bragged about his courage. He bragged about how if everybody else deserted Jesus, he would never desert him and how wrong he was. Under pressure, this bold apostle turned to butter. Peter may have failed when he impulsively cut off the ear of a soldier by the name of Malchus in the garden uh, uh, the night before Jesus' death, but Jesus still sends for Peter. 
Peter meant well, but his futile attempts to protect Jesus that night accomplished nothing. Put your sword back in its sheath, Jesus said. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter may have failed in the dark of night out in the courtyard when he denied Jesus, but Jesus still sends for Peter. You're not the, are you not one of that man's disciples? No, I'm not. A second time, you're not one of his disciples, are you? No, I'm not. And the third time, didn't I see you out in the olive grove with Jesus? And this time, Peter begins to swear as only a fisherman can swear. I tell you, I don't even know the man. And in the distance, the rooster crows. Moments later, Jesus was brought out from his trial before the high priest, Caiaphas, in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, says that the Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. That's when the full impact of his sin hit him. Realizing what he had done, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. But after all of that, Jesus still sends for Peter. He doesn't write Peter off as a permanent failure. He doesn't put him in the biggest loser category. Jesus still has plans for Peter to give him hope and a future plans to give him a second chance. The second stage is that Jesus meets with Peter. Where did Peter go after he denied Jesus? Well, the answer is we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say. But we can surmise that Peter did what most of us would do when we've blown it big time, when we've made a huge mistake. The last thing we want to be around, is, or the last thing we want is to be around people, other people, especially those who know us best and love us. Having let them down, we don't want to see people. Why? Because sin separates us from God. It separates us from God's people. Sin isolates us so that the devil can begin to convince us that having made such a stupid mistake, uh, no one wants to be around us again. So we spend our hours and our days in a miserable prison of self-imposed solitary confinement. And I think that's what happened to Peter that weekend. Wherever he was, he must have been feeling very alone in the world. And the last thing we're told is that after Jesus looked at him, Peter wept bitterly. We're not told where Peter was during the crucifixion on Friday or during the burial late that afternoon. We can guess that he retired to some lonely spot there to you know, replay those awful moments in his mind over and over again and beat himself up a little bit. Maybe Peter was asking why. Why did I do it? What made me think that I was so much better than everybody else? How could I have been so stupid? And what does God think about me now? And we find the answer to that last question in the fact that Jesus made a special appearance to Peter sometime on Easter Sunday. We don't know where or when precisely, nor do we know how long the meeting lasted, but twice the New Testament mentions that the meeting place took place. In Luke 24, there, there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He also appeared to Peter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says something similar. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. See, I'm especially heartened that Jesus met with Peter before he met with the rest of the disciples. 
Jesus not only sends for Peter, he goes to meet him and he meet, uh, before he meets with anybody else. And to me, that is a demonstration of God's amazing grace. There will be no public humiliation. Since Peter denied Jesus, things must first be settled between the two of them. And with wisdom and with grace, Christ comes after Peter, and he doesn't wait for Peter to make the first move. Now, the third stage is that Jesus challenges Peter. Here we come to John chapter 21. It's evening on the Sea of Galilee. Not long after Jesus rose to life from the grave, and Peter and six other disciples have spent the night fishing, and they end up catching nothing. In the morning, a man calls from the shore, telling them to put their nets on the other side of the boat, and they'll catch some fish. And they end up with so many fish that they can't hold them all in the net because it's so full. And when he realizes the man is Jesus, who's been speaking to them, Peter impulsively jumps into the water, and he begins, begins to swim to shore. Now, it turns out that Peter and the other disciples caught over 150 fish simply by obeying the word of Jesus. Now, I've often wondered, if Jesus was watching the disciples from the shore all night, why didn't he speak up sooner? Why did he allow these men to toil for hours in frustration? And the answer is, they needed to fail. You see, failure, in this case, was the necessary prerequisite to eventual success. If that unidentified man had spoken up sooner, they would have doubtless, you know, rejected his voice. What do you know? We're the professional fishermen. We know where to find fish. We've spent years on this lake. But the night passed with nothing. And the sun came up, and they were ready to give it up. And when they heard the voice of the Lord, and so it is with so many of us, the Lord often allows us to fail in our own strength so that we can learn that only by God's power can we ever succeed. Microsoft founder Bill Gates once said, success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they can't lose. The disciples needed to fail so that they could learn to depend on Jesus. Sometimes it takes shameful failure even for us to finally wake up and realize our need for God. When we read John chapter 21, um, I would invite you to connect it to Luke chapter 5, where Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep of the lake, let down his net for a catch, and despite his doubts, Peter follows Jesus' command, and he ends up catching so many fish that they have to call another boat, and they fill both boats. So now we've come kind of full circle. The question is the same on both occasions. Peter... Are you going to trust me? Will you, will you obey me even when it doesn't make sense? And really, it's the same question that Jesus asks us every day. Will we obey even when we think we have a better way? Will we obey God even when the way forward seems a bit unclear? Will we obey when our instincts tell us to do something different? Will we obey when we have failed all on our own? Here's the fourth stage. Jesus reinstates Peter. After breakfast was over, Peter and James 
or Peter and Jesus take a, take a walk together, and this is the part of the story that I think most of us know best. But notice how John, the writer, describes the scene. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then go feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, Peter and Jesus had this conversation around a charcoal fire. And this word in particular in the Greek, uh, the word for charcoal fire is only used one other place in the New Testament. And that is in John chapter 18. It refers to the charcoal fire in the courtyard where Peter had denied Jesus. So by one fire, Peter says, I didn't know him. By another fire, a couple of days later, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. By one charcoal fire, Peter has denied ever knowing Jesus. By another charcoal fire, Jesus restores him. Several questions come to mind, perhaps, as we read this passage. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? And the answer is because Peter had denied him three times. Why did Jesus do this publicly? Because Peter denied Jesus publicly, and the other disciples needed to hear Peter openly declare his love for Jesus. Without hearing those words, the doubts would linger forever. See, the man who had been so boastful, so sure of himself, so confident of his own courage is now thoroughly humbled. And Jesus' first question, do you love me, Peter? It's a subtle reminder of his previous boast to be, you know, the most loyal of all the disciples. And in this reply, Peter declares his love for Jesus, but he refuses to compare himself with anybody else. As painful as it was, it was absolutely necessary. Jesus is cleaning the wound so that it might be properly healed. He's getting rid of Peter's guilt and Peter's shame by dealing with it openly. Now consider what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't humiliate Peter publicly. He doesn't ask him, you know, are you sorry for what you did, Peter? No, he doesn't make Peter promise to do better the next time. He just simply asks one question. Do you love me? See, once we've hurt someone we love, it's hard to look that person in the face. And it's harder still to be questioned about our true commitment. How could you have done that? What were you thinking? Do you even love me at all? But the questions must be asked and the answers given. And they must be repeated if the truth is to be fully told. Peter needed to see the enormity of his sin. And he needed to hear Jesus asking those searching questions. And only then could he grasp the magnitude God's forgiveness. Only then could he be truly restored. Without the pain, he would never get better. Some years ago, I heard this thought, and it is, the truth will set you free, but it's going to hurt you first. 
Often we don't get better because we don't want to face the hard truth about what we've said or about what we've done. But until we face that truth about ourselves, we will never be free. See, there are three qualifications for those who would serve the Lord. The first is love. The second is love. And the third is love. We love so that we can serve. We love so that we can speak. And we love so that we can lead. Everything we are and everything we do must begin and end with love. And when Jesus asked the question the third time, Peter Peter's heart is grieved, and he blurts it out, Lord, you know everything. And with those words, Peter is renouncing all of his self-confidence. On that fateful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he really didn't, and he's not so sure. He doesn't even trust his own heart now. Instead, he has learned to trust in the Lord who knows all things. This is a mighty step forward in spiritual growth. It is a great advance to come to the place where we can say with conviction, my trust is in the Lord alone. Sometimes we have to hit the bottom, and I mean hit it hard, before we can ever get to those words. I trust in the Lord alone. Did it work for Peter? Did the surgery produce the desired healing? Yes, Peter never denied Jesus again. And just a short time later, on the day of Pentecost, he is fully restored, and he stands in the temple court, and he preaches a mighty sermon to the very people who had crucified Jesus. And we're told that over 3,000 were saved that day. See, the old Peter was gone forever. A new man was born, and Jesus, because Jesus had restored this fallen disciple. Now, here's the final piece. Jesus re-enlists Peter. You know, early church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. It's remarkable that Jesus skips the rest of Peter's life in, in John chapter 21, and he concentrates only on how Peter will die. And although he had failed in the past, Peter will, in the end, glorify his God in death. In the upper room, Peter has rashly boasted that he would be willing to follow Jesus to prison and even to death, and it's as if Jesus is telling him here in John 21, you're right, Peter, more right than you know, and someday you're going to have a chance to keep that promise, and I know that in that day you won't fail me. See, early historians tell us that Peter lived and he died faithful to Jesus to the very end of his life. And so we come to the end of the message and we come to, the, uh, to reflect on this question. What does Jesus do with failure? And the answer is, he always redeems it. God is able to forget our past. Trouble is, many of us can't. Peter remains a person of great interest to us. We can't get enough of him. We know well, we know him well because we see Peter every morning when we look in the mirror. We like Peter because we see ourselves in his story. In fact, his story is our story. And for all of us, the process of Christian growth is often long and it's painful and there's many ups and downs. And Peter, the rock, 
was often very unrock-like. It took repeated failure to produce the rock-solid character that eventually was Peter. But Jesus never, ever gave up on him. And here's the final irony. From beginning to end, Jesus believed in Peter more than Peter believed in himself. And so it will be for all of us. Remember the poem, If Your Life Was Perfect, then what would you need God for? See, the real hero of Peter's story is not Peter, it's Jesus. And that's why John 21 is in the Bible, so that all of us Peter types will know that though we fall and fail again and again, by God's grace, we can keep getting back up because of the mercy and the grace of God. And if Jesus did it for Peter, he will do it for you and he'll do it for me. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, your mercy awaits us when we return to you in meekness and in repentance. So cleanse us today from selfishness and everything false which separates us from you. And through your love, heal the brokenness in our lives and in our world. And help us to live totally for the one who gave his life for us, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. 